Man, mmm, so good. Lily snuck one, so I have a bite. No, no, they're, they're back here. You can't see them right now. I'm going to be like, anyone have a comment? I'm going to eat a muffin. So, you two, real quick. Um, I know a lot of us didn't, didn't get to go to the um, Ultra Project release of the, um, I don't know called a movie or show episode deal. Man, I came home all messed up from that. It was so good. It was so good. And so challenging to me to, to see this lady in Romania live the life she'd lived, and then also the juxtaposition of me having to plead while I'm singing, really, God, don't let me want riches or man's empty praise. Especially after listening to someone who's never going to get praise from anyone and, and someone finally being able to heap on as much as they can for her, and it doesn't matter anyway. She's just this beautiful person that's, that's continuing to place children and families from 20 years old to now, and then I have to sing, please really though, please don't let me just want riches, because I would settle for that if I'm left to my own self, and it was just beautiful. So I appreciated it. We were excited to see it. I'm excited for everyone to get to see it. It was awesome. It was great. Um, well, let's do this. Let's turn to Acts 7. And quick disclaimer before we get in here. Um, this is long. It's a long passage. It's the whole chapter. It's a longer chapter in Acts. But it's important. We need to go through the whole thing because his speech, sermon, whatever, is, is long on purpose. And his thought process is really important to how the gospel gets sent to the world and how it changes from now till, or till whenever. Um, before now, uh, the church is, someone describe, give a few attributes and descriptions of the early church to this point, to Acts 6, you know, 38 or whatever it is. Acts six fifteen. What's happening before that? How's the church doing? Yeah, it's fine, right? It's good. Things are going well. Yeah. Right? In what ways is it going well? The Lord is adding to their number daily. Right. Seems to be kind of a kind of the popular movement right now, right? It's good. Things are things are going okay. What else? What else is good about it? There's miracles happening. All over the place. Healing people. Shadows and stuff are healing people. <laughs> Crazy. Okay. I thought last week I didn't say it. I'm glad. Um, or two weeks ago. I thought about like Healing with a shadow puppet, and it was super funny in my head to think about it while we were here. While I was like talking, and someone was talking about it's just crazy that when the shadow passes over the person, I was like <laughs> thinking in my head about it, making a shadow puppet. And it, you know, anyway, <laughs> um, this my brain's crazy. But what else? What else is good? There's healings happening. It's fairly people are being added to the number. It's successful, right? In the way they want it to be successful. What else? The government's upset, kind of, but. Mm-hmm. Not a good thing, but there right. Might be a point power right. Right. Okay. That's true. We're gonna kind of see it even. What else? They're organizing themselves to do more than just like it's gotten big enough that they're starting to figure out they need folks to, to serve the poor. They need to make sure other groups of people who are joining them are being taken care of. Right. Um, it's a 
It's a full-fledged like, organizational movement at this point. It is. And they're trying to organize it well, right? They're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit kind of organize and structure them in a certain way, which is important, okay? It's important because, and I, I don't feel like I, I explained this part very well, and, and I left thinking like, ah, oh, there was so much more to say last week. But the, the fact, number one, that the apostles had such reverence for teaching the Word of God, I think is incredibly important, and they didn't want to stop it. And they didn't want things to hinder that because they knew it was powerful and wonderful and things were going well, in part because of it. And then also, though, they knew that the Holy Spirit was leading them to do this other wonderful thing. And they were convicted in some ways about the, the Hellenist widows, right, getting overlooked at the daily distribution of bread. And so it was this beautiful thing of, like, it's starting to mold itself. It's starting to look a certain way, right? And for all intents and purposes, it's good. I mean, it's... They're probably very excited. I I can imagine them being like, this is working. Like, this is, the Holy Spirit is crazy and beautiful, and we're excited about it. We, you know, they beat some people, but they couldn't stop them. And they're just like, "This this is really going really well. And the city of Jerusalem is having this wonderful kind of spiritual revolution movement begin and, and start to look beautiful. Right? And here, we see it take a turn, and we see the gospel from here immediately goes to Samaria next, and then it goes to Gentiles all over the world, which sounds a lot like when Jesus left, what, is it, what does he say to do? Take the gospel where? Into the earth. To where first, though? Into Samaria. To the ends of the earth. Right now, it's happening great in this this one corner. It's about to just get sent everywhere, though. And this is how it happens. So they arrest Stephen. Who is Stephen? One of the folks who have been tasked with making sure the orphans, widows, and particular folks are being taken care of. Right. How would you describe Stephen? What was it? Full of what? Full of faith in the Holy Spirit. A servant. What did they say his face looked like while ago? Looked like an angel. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No one has ever said my face looks like the face of an angel. So I'm like, Stephen, go, man. Like, how does that even work? I don't even know if I've said my children look like no. But but his face. I'm kidding, Meg. Meg, I'm kidding. She gave me this look like terrible father. So, but but they. He has this face of an angel. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He's um, a servant to all. He, they obviously thought he would be perfect for the task of feeding Hellenist widows and taking care of them and not letting them overlook. This is a wonderful human being, right? So they arrest him because they've spread false rumors of him, right? They, they say they're spreading false rumors. He's about to express how they're not so false. But they're supposedly spreading false rumors about him. They arrest him, and the high priest says, Are these things so? Like, defend yourself. Right? Give your defense. We will let you speak. What they're saying about you, is this true? And he says this. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived on Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land I will show you. Then he went to the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from that into a land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance, not even a foot's length, 
but promised to give it to him as a possession and his offspring after him, though he could have no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them a covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and the circumcised and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Now, he's not giving them a history lesson they don't know. They all know this from when they're children, from when they are toddlers and can hear a story. This is the story they would tell them. Okay, so that this is this is something expressing to them that may sound like he will use it in defense, or it may sound like he's going to now use this to defend himself. He's really kind of drawn this commonality, and he's bringing them into a story they know. Okay, so picture it like if I'm trying to make a point, if I'm trying to say something important, I would try to tell a story or an analogy or make that point with something all of us are familiar with since we were children, right? So that's, that's how he's starting this. That's what he's doing. And then he goes from there. He said, and this is where it starts to get where they can tell he's not defending himself anymore. He's starting to get abrasive with the story. It says, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. This is the very first time, and he's going to do it over and over in this story. He's going to mention God's like anointed person to do something great, being afflicted and being subservient and being persecuted by his own people. He's, he's drawing a direct line to Joseph saying, oh yeah, and that brother, the one God was going to anoint to do the great things I'm going to discuss, his own brothers, his family, he, they sold him. And then he's going to continue. He's going to bring it up again and again. So he says, They sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. He rescued him from his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, a foreigner, the king of Egypt, and made him ruler under Egypt and all of his household. And there came a famine, all of Egypt and Canaan, great affliction, and our fathers could not find food. But when Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there to first visit. On the second visit, Joseph made it known to his brothers and Joseph's family, became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, he and his fathers, carried back to Shechem, laid in the tomb of Abraham, had brought with a sum of silver from the sons of Haman and Shechem. Now, again, he is describing a point in the story and he is trying to parallel what's happening right now in front of their faces with this old story. He's saying, do you remember Jacob? Because his family did not love Jacob. His family was jealous of the favor he had found with his father. And they sent him to Egypt. And he became ruler of a nation that everyone knew to be wicked. He found favor with a wicked nation. And he says, do you remember that point in our history? When this person that we rejected, the, all the other patriarchs rejected him, sold him. The other nation loved him, exalted him, put it in a high, put, put it in Put him in a high place. They did this. They loved this person. And then you know what happened? A few in the nation decided, I'm starving. And they went and got his help. This is, this is a story they know. This is a story they're proud of. But he is reaching for a part of the story they should not be proud of. He is expressing to them again. Remember this cornerstone type of person? 
this Joseph person? I'm trying to tell you, someone else has come like that. This has happened before. You have rejected the blessing giver. You have rejected the one who will save you before. Do you not recall Joseph? Do you not recall that his brothers put him in a pit, told their father a wild lion ate him, and sold him into slavery? Do you not remember what you've done to your own? And so again, this is not just, do you remember this story we all know? It is an indictment to himself and to them. And the, the boldness to do this, I'm just beyond impressed with when you read this. So anyway, he goes on. There's more. But as the time of promise drew near, God had granted to Abraham, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. Until then, there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph, and he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed by the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came in his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God had given him salvation through his hand. They did not understand. Are we hearing it again and again right here? He supposed that his brothers... I'm with you. I'm with you. I understand too. We're going to... I'm expressing. I'm going into it though because I'm so excited about it. So don't stress. It will be there. It will come to you. So the following day, he appeared to them while they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them saying, Hey, whoa, men, your brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside saying, Who made you the ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Again and again, we have, he's bringing up a story they would all know to show them what they're doing even now. He says, Moses saw an Egyptian, a foreigner, the, the, the owner of, these, of this Jewish man was abusing him. So he stepped in, defended, killed the, killed the oppressor and thought, surely, surely they'll understand that, yes, I'm at this position in the Egyptian line of pharaohs. Yes, I have, I have been given this place. Yes, I am honored by these foreigners that are, are oppressing you. But I am here for you. I am trying to be one to stretch out my hand and help you. And what happens the very next day? He goes and tries to settle a quarrel and is like, God, your brothers, your brothers, whoa. And what do they do? They mock his help. They mock him defending from the oppressor. And he again is trying to say, this is you. Let me tell you who you are. You want me to defend myself? You, you want to tell me, is all of this true what you've said? I'll tell you all of this is true throughout history for our people. All of this is true for all of you and myself and our fathers and our grandfathers and our sisters and our brothers. We are these people. One was going to help us. One found favor with our father. We couldn't handle that they found favor with our father, so we sold him. He said one tried to step in, tried to raise his hand against the oppressor, tried to help the lowliest. What did we do? We mocked him. And we said, oh, you're going to help us now? That's what you're going to do? Are you going to kill me too? 
He says, that's who you are. That's the kind of people we've become. And he goes on. There's more examples. He says, now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness in Mount Sinai, a flame, a fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. He drew back, or he drew near to look. Then came a voice from the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Moses trembled, did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals from your feet. The place you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Then Moses, whom they rejected, by saying, who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent both ruler and redeemer by the hand of an angel appearing to him in a bush. Again, the parallels. Again, the beauty of that. The man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt, and at the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is Moses. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise you up a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation of the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give us. Our fathers, though, refused to obey him. They thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying, Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And they made a calf, offered sacrifices to the idol, rejoicing in the works of their hands. Rejoicing in the works of their hands. This temple had become their calf. This temple, he said, will fall and be rebuilt. The new kingdom will come, had become this golden calf. Jesus began, turned, turned and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during four years of the wilderness of house of Israel? You took up the tent of Molech, the star of your god Raphon, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond, beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness. What's the tent of witness? Just to keep us in the story here. What, what is it? The tabernacle, right? They have the tabernacle. They have the, the movable temple, basically. Yeah. It's not the temple. It's what they wanted, but it's the movable God with them. Kind of idea. Remember the remember in, in John this idea of when when John starts the gospel, saying God was with them was like God tabernacling with them. It's kind of a similar word. Okay. They had this with them. Let me see where am I? I got distracted. They had the tent of witness, just as spoke to Moses, directed them to do it according to the pattern they had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it with them, or brought in it with Joshua. When they, sorry, I'm reading poorly, dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for, place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. And now listen to this next phrase. This is when it gets, he's going to make them crazy. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my resting? Did not my hand make all of these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and in ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit 
as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels, but do not keep it. Hi. Bad choice for your defense, Stephen. <laughs> Beautiful. Lays out through the stories of their fathers. Jesus. Lays out Jesus' coming and rejection by all the ones that came and were rejected. Brings up again. You wanted a temple so bad. God built one. And yet now you have come to worship this idea of temple. Now even, all you want is to have the temple not ruled by this own government. As if God is confined to the temple. The rest of that, the rest of that verse, also amazing. This is, this is from Isaiah 66. This is what that verse says. That he quotes them. He doesn't even finish it. But it says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is this house that you try to build, or what is this house that you built for me in the place of my rest? All these things my hands have made. And so all of these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one on whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You wanted a temple. You wanted status. You wanted a golden calf. You want to overthrow a government. You want these laws to oppress each other with. You want all these things. The one on whom the Lord looks, Stephen says, because they would all know the end of this verse. The one on whom the Lord looks is humble and contrite of heart. The one on whom the Lord looks trembles at true words of God. And yet you've twisted the words of God and are now using them to oppress. He says, you've, you've done this to Joseph. You did this to Abraham. You, you did this to David, to Solomon, to all of these ones who brought redemption for you. You rejected them. And then he says, you stiff-necked people. You've done it again. You're so consumed with your ways, with your methods of religion, with your heritage, with your traditions. They've consumed you to the point that they have made your neck stiff and they have plugged up your ears. Jesus also almost quotes this exact thing. He says, I'm saying these things because people aren't going to hear them. I'm saying these things and people will see them and never perceive. They will hear and never understand. He says, don't be these people. Hear and turn your ways. See and listen to your eyes, right? Stephen seems incredibly unafraid to be a prophet to them. To, to not tell what's coming in the future, necessarily, but to give them the truth about their day. He gives them who they are. He gives them the perfect, that they're wanting him to defend himself against what they're saying about him. And he turns that and he indicts their entire culture. He indicts their entire nation. He indicts himself along with them and says, we have rejected the one who's coming, the anointed one, just like we've always done. Again, what prophets did we not persecute? Which ones did we not kill and shame? 
we have not learned. We are doing it again and again and again. So how do they respond to this? Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. Someone describe grinding your teeth at someone. Okay, legitimately, I ground my teeth the other day. <laughs> this guy at work, he's obviously at work, where I was a crazy person, this guy's trying to express to me why he's not going to do what I'm asking him to do with a fireplace surround, which doesn't matter, right? He's trying to explain to me how that won't work, what I'm asking him to do won't work. And I know it will work. I know it will work. So finally, by the end of it, we're going back and forth, and I finally say, do what I'm asking you to do. And I just was like, you put that exactly where I'm asking you to put it. And I said it like that so I wouldn't go absolutely nuts, but I ground my teeth. And it's like gnashing your teeth. So we're just like, like, like that kind of feeling, right? I, the other examples are probably with my children, always. Like, <laughs> put your shoe on your feet. Put it on your feet. Put it on your feet. You know, that kind of idea. That's, that's grinding your teeth at someone. It's this crazy thing that happens to you when you're so mad that's silly almost looking, right? We're grinning about me being like, do what I'm... I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. And they're so enraged, they turn like ravenous, this crowd does. The, the further they describe it, listen to the rest of it. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he says, behold, I see the heavens open." I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rush at him as one. Again, this is an odd, crazy response. What's it mean to stop your ears? Someone do it. Someone act up. Yes! Grown-ups, men here, grown men ground their teeth angrily yelling at him and when he says he sees the anointed one that he just spoke of when the heavens open for him and he says behold the one I'm talking to you about is at the right hand of God the Father they cry out with a loud voice nourishing their teeth they plug their ears and they run at him that is strange I mean that is very upset I mean that's what kids do. I mean, that, that's, I mean, hopefully they don't even. I mean, like, if our sons do that, they'd be like, you're acting real weird, man. <laughs> Stop with that nonsense. Like, just tell me you don't want to eat the bread. Don't do that, you know? They go nuts. They go nuts. They grab him. They cast him out of the city. And they stone him. When they cast him out, they stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the, young, at the feet of a young man named Saul, who is later Paul, a young Pharisee, learning and trying to make his mark on the world, approves by holding their coats. Right? This idea of them laying their feet at Saul is like him holding their coats of approval so that they can kill this man. Right? They take off their coats to be able to stone the person properly, to be able to do that and not disrupt their garment, not, um, what am I trying to say? Um, not impurity. What am I, what helped me? They're trying not to, um, 
oh my goodness, they want to be able to wear the garment again. They can't if they killed someone with it on. Yeah, they're like, they're still, t- I don't even, I'll come up with it. Anyway. Yes, yes. It's like that, but with like actual Jewish rules and laws of dead person and clothes. They're still following the law by laying their clothes on the ground while they kill a person, which is crazy. That's like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to express how crazy this is. They're minding the letter of the law by not getting impurity on their clothes while they're going to murder a person. But that's what it's come to. That's how, that's how wild the crowd has gotten together, right? To, to like, they want to do this wrongful, terrible thing in a religious, pure way. So they lay the clothes, a young, a young man named Saul, at his feet, and they begin to stone Stephen. They begin to kill him with rocks. As they were stoning him, he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he says that, he fell asleep. Who else cried that out at death? Jesus does, right? The Holy Spirit overtook this man. Stephen, for all intents and purposes, more than likely was not there at Jesus' death. He probably heard about it from people. But whether he's attempting to mimic him or not in this, which I would hope he probably is a little, the Holy Spirit has overtaken him to the point of being able to pray this with a loud voice with his last, right? To cry out, please forgive them. He's just given them this indictment of all they've done to the anointed ones, right? He's given this indictment of what they've done to Jesus. He's, he's expressed to them what their nation, what their culture, what the stiff-necked people have become. And all of the cultures of the world, all of us are this way. He gives this indictment. They kill him for it. And while he's being killed, he says, please, just forgive them. That, I mean, the beauty of that. No wonder he's chosen to take care of the widow, you know? So a few things with this that aren't just like in the process of the church growing. And, and after this too, the next passage, the church is scattered with this. Once Stephen is killed, it's, it becomes the way to handle the church. Saul becomes very active in persecuting the church. He starts going house to house and taking people into prison, going into homes and saying, yes, arrest them. I know they're a part of the way, right? Starts doing that to families. They start murdering people openly. Um, this begins to happen right here. This is the one. And it was going so well. <laughs> right? Things were getting organized. They were having ideas maybe of what to do next. The Holy Spirit is healing people with their shadows. The, the, the anointment of the Holy Spirit on their lives is beautiful. People are being added to the number. They're growing. It's, it's been beautiful. And then all of a sudden there will be a huge change in the life and exposure and projection of the church. And one thing that I think we, or a few things, but one thing we hear from this, and I hope we really hear, is we can be so convincing with our charity, so, so eloquent with our words of how Jesus has changed our life and how Jesus is welcoming to everyone 
and how we want to share the gospel and good news of Jesus. We can, be, we can do it in the most wonderful and right of ways. We can feel like the Holy Spirit is organizing us in a certain way and structure ourselves well to do good work, to, to share the words of Jesus with our community. We can do that. But unless the Holy Spirit opens the ears of people, unless the Holy Spirit allows necks to unstiffen, we've seen how this goes. We know how it goes from our own past. How often did you hear the goodness of Jesus or hear of Christianity or church being beautiful before you bought in? Right? Before it run, run. Before it ran, I'm talking like, before it ran your life, before it was the guide of yourself, how long? And as we seek to love and make a difference in our community, as we seek to end oppression and the orphan crisis, as we seek to see families not torn apart with divorce and violence, as we see and want to do these things and be people of hope in the world, we also have to plead that the Holy Spirit go before us and open ears, open eyes, and loosen up stiff hearts and necks. And we have to pray that our own are loose as well. We would very easily, very, very easily believe our way, our way, doing church, moving forward, we should just always do it because that's what we feel is right and best. And if one of us as a prophet were to come to us and help guide and steer us, like we're all hoping we do for each other, guide and steer us, we need to pray that we would listen. We need to pray that we would submit to each other and obey and not be ones that have always gone our own way. This could be us so easily. We, we could just, uh, so easily. I do this so easily. <laughs> right? And then also, just being able to, as Stephen, see in the moment and know and be so caught up by the Holy Spirit of God that we would know how to indict each other, how we would know how to speak to our culture, that we would know exactly what our culture just has to hear and what we ourselves just have to hear. And to be able to do that is something I want so badly for ourselves and each other. I want John Bolware to be able to tell me, specifically Austin Evers, when I am wrong in the most wonderful and indicting and biblical of ways and be able to do that for me. I need him to. We need each other to be able to do this and we need to be able to listen. And to have that softened spirit, to have that softened heart, is not something you can conjure up for yourself. We all think we're teachable until we're being taught something. We all think, oh yeah, I would totally let my wife help guide my life until she tries to critique what I'm doing and then it's just nonsense, right? And then, oh, I'll show you something you're doing too though, just like that, watch yourself, you know? That is our way. We are stiff-necked people. And we read this and we're like, oh, how dare they not understand what he's trying to tell them, right? Anyway, I want us to pray to those effects. I want us to, to as a we, 
pray that, that we would understand the Holy Spirit needs to go before us. Those had a meeting this morning that I assume went so well, and I'm glad to hear about later, and I'm sure was so insightful, Holy Spirit-driven, and all these things. We pray now that whatever ideas came from that and whatever things we're doing to reach our community, we must, we can't nice people into something. We have to know that by now, surely. We, we need the Holy Spirit to change people's hearts and to transform us as well. We need to hear each other as prophets in our community, as people who are trying to give us who we really are, trying to correct us and guide and lead each other. We need this. And we need soft hearts to do this whole thing. So let's stand together. Todd, we did one song or two, man. Two? Okay, perfect. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to enter our time of communion together. Um, have communion. In doing that, though, in doing so, and as we enjoy communion together, we, I know, I know I've, I've given too much commentary on communion lately just from the sermons probably we're, we're doing, but we have to understand we are, we are tying ourselves and making ourselves one with the persecuted ones. Not just the prettiness and the tidiness of Jesus. That's not what we're eating flesh and drinking blood about. right? Jesus once told him, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And what happened? Everyone left. Every, all the crowds, all the people he just fed, everyone goes away. This one finds communion with Jesus, says what he says, even in death, and they stone it. We're, we're, we're making ourselves one with one that's not always accepted. And so don't expect to be. Don't expect sacrificial generosity to be cool. <laughs> Don't expect the Holy Spirit giving you words of encouragement and truth and correction for each other to just be, I'm so glad you came to say that to me. It doesn't always go that way. <laughs> it hasn't always gone that way. We can't wait to hear from y'all on, on how you've continued to have to repent for nations who have not lived that way, right? And so in taking communion, we are joining ourselves with that. We, we have to realize that. Let's, let's just go into it. Sorry, I'm going longer and longer. Okay. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, through your goodness we have this bread and cup. May we know your presence in our sharing. May one in Christ and one with each other, we offer ourselves back to you, a living act of praise. Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.